You are listening to a main session from Celebration Midwest 2014, a New Frontiers USA conference. If you would like more information about the Celebration conferences or the New Frontiers family of churches, please visit our website at newfrontiersusa.org. As you know, we started by looking at this story of a people who were born in slavery and yet had promises historically written in their past and then through Moses were delivered into their destiny, uh, brought out from being slaves into becoming a, an army on the move. And we read together Numbers 10, that uh, very important chapter where they so clearly are being changed from just a gang of slaves into becoming a people on the move in formation with those knowing that they're pressing ahead those from the right flank, the left flank, those bringing up the rear, those carrying the holy things in the midst. And they're marching along, a phenomenal people, under the favor and mercy and blessing of God. It's a tremendous picture of the church of God. And we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in the New Testament, Paul says about this journey, all these things were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So this is a kind of a miniature, just two million people on the move with God's hand on them, the Spirit of God over them, this pillar of glory going before them, inviting, as we saw, uh, Hobab to come with, come with us. Come with us, we'll do you good. This tremendous invitation going out from a people on the move, not just come to us, not just come into our static community and make us bigger and fatter, but come with us, we are on a journey. And Jesus said similar things to people, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. We heard through the shared things in the meeting uh, about little children who can wander off and the need to be focused. We think of Jesus who said, I always do what the Father is showing me. I'm always looking to see what the Father's doing. He modeled sonship for us. He's always looking to the Father. He says, the Father's doing the works. I'm following the Father. And we have to have that same appetite, that same uh, attitude of heart. And so here we see this picture. It's written for our instruction. It's not just uh, an old story. It's full of power for our lives. And we saw yesterday, you might say, well, if you're asking me, will you come with us? Yesterday we said, well, who are you? And we saw who they were. There are people who've been declared righteous through blood that had been shed. There are people who amazingly had the love of God upon them, not because they deserved it, as we've been singing. Oh, the mercy. We'll never forget the mercy. But because someone else, a lamb, a perfect, innocent, spotless lamb, had to be perfect. They were told, take a perfect lamb and, and destroy the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. But when God says, when I see... When I see the blood of the Lamb, God is so thrilled with the obedience of His Son. He's so thrilled with the dedication and devotion of His Son, the battle He fought in Gethsemane, the triumph of obedience, His tenderness, His purity, His innocence. He is so thrilled with the blood of the Lamb. He's at peace, and we come under that. We receive mercy because of the obedience of another. 
We receive mercy because the Lamb was perfect. Hallelujah. Who are we? We're people who celebrate mercy. We celebrate grace. We're assured of it. We're secure in it. We know God's satisfied. And so we're not wondering, is God happy with me? Am I doing well? It really isn't the point. He did well. That's the great discovery of Martin Luther. When Martin Luther we just heard of, when he was a monk, and he's trying to keep God happy, and he's literally going on his knees at St. Peter's Church in Rome as a monk. He's saying, can I, he's praying as he goes on every step. He's praying, can I do enough? Am I pleasing God? And he suddenly saw through the whole thing. And he understood. He came into the Bible. He looked at Romans and Galatians. And he said, no, 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 it's the finished work of Jesus that's done it. Hallelujah. So we've been made righteous. We've also been set free from slavery. That's who they were. That's who were inviting, come with us, come with us. And as we go to the various cities of this nation, and as we increasingly go to the nations, to the ends of the earth, this is the call that comes out from a people on the move. Come with us. It may be you're a guest here this weekend. And we'd have the courage to say to you, come with us. We'll do you good. Sounds a bit arrogant, doesn't it? First time I ever saw that Bible verse, it was outside a church building. And they gave their church program, and underneath it said, come with us, we will do you good. I thought, that sounds a bit arrogant, really. But it was a, it's a Bible verse. It's a thing that God wants us to own, God wants us to work with. So let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for these great truths we've been singing this morning. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for, Lord, all you've lavished on us. Thank you for the faithfulness of your servants last evening. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for funds that will release resource to go. We thank you. We can join hands across the nations. Father, we are so grateful. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you now, would you come and be our teacher Please, would you electrify what we're saying? Would you breathe your life into it? Would you cause it to become food for our soul, really arresting us, captivating us? Holy Spirit, only you can do that. And so we ask for you to come right now. Rest on us. Let us feel the, the presence of God. My heavenly Father is speaking to me. Let it be, Father, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I think the next question I'd ask someone who said, uh, hey, come with us. Well, who are you? But where are you going? Come with us. Well, where are you going? I'm interested in where you're going. Before I commit myself, uh, where are you going? Are you just wandering? Are you nomadic? Are you just wandering around? What's the deal? I think that's a very reasonable question. Where are you going? And you'll find that they were not just escaped slaves running for it. It's not like, hey, you're out, go for it. No, 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 there's a journey. There's a people forming up. There's an inheritance that God has prepared for them. And that's tremendously relevant for each one of us. There's an inheritance that God has prepared for us to enter into. There's a land, as it were, to be taken. And it's interesting how Moses, in what you could call Psalm 1, although it's not called that, it's called Exodus 15, sings that tremendous song. And he sings, wow, who is like you, Lord? 
He's singing this incredible song of praise. And of course, that's what worship's about, isn't it? It's responding to what God has done. It's not us making up little tunes. It's saying, Lord, what you've done, what you've done. And Exodus 15 is a marvelous, great song of worship. Who's like you? You blew your wind. You covered them. Who's like you among the gods, O Lord? You're majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, doing wonders. And he's just so thrilled with God. And then he goes on, and I think this is actually what prophetic songs should be like. And even when sometimes people sing out in the Spirit, sing in tongues, and then sing out interpretation, it says that it will bring a revelation. And I think that this song is like that. It's like, wow, what you've done, Lord. And then it moves into a kind of prophetic note. It says, you will bring them into the land. You will bring them to the mountain of your choice, the sanctuary of God that you're going to have. Now, that's prophetic. You think, well, Moses, what are you talking about? You've never seen a land. You've been, you've been raised in Egypt. You've just escaped. You're in a wilderness. But he begins to sing, and he's getting revelation as he's singing. He's, he's moving by the Spirit. He's singing out the unknown. He's singing into the future. It's a bit like Mary's Magnificat when she sings out, my soul magnifies the Lord. He's taking mercy on me. And then she begins to sing not just of the mercy and kindness of God, but what's going to happen through this child. The, the prophetic, beloved, is a massive privilege for us. It's like heaven suddenly opens, and we know things that only God knows. And he reveals them to us, and we begin to enter into something supernatural. That's the privilege of being a people of God in the Spirit. And that should be our privilege from church to church, and we'll come back to this a bit later, really, in what I want to speak about. But there's this song that says this is where we're going. We're going into the land. We're going to the mountain of God. We're going to the sanctuary of God. And I'd like to speak about those three things this morning as we start. Where are you going? Well, they're going into the land, the land that God promised them. Now, we've got to remember again, this is just a model, this promised land, which we read quite plainly in Romans chapter 4, that Abraham was heir of the world. Now, it's very possible to just look at a few square miles in the Middle East and think, oh, that's the holy land. Well, it's not holy anymore. It was holy when God was there. It was just like Mount Sinai. Wow, it's just a holy mountain. But then they moved on and it's just become a mountain. And then it's this bush, it's this holy land. This is holy ground. You've got to take your sandals off. But it moves on and the bush is no longer relevant. So that land, no, 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 it was just it's holy because, well, the glory of God was there. The majesty of God was there. Jesus walked that, that place. The temple was there, as we'll see in a moment. It was special for that reason. But Abraham was called, told quite plainly, you will be heir of the world, not just of that piece of land. You are heir of the world. We've got to see what God's ultimate plan is. This is the little model. It's giving us a sign of what God's saying. He's saying to his people, they've to inherit. You've to inherit. And it says when God was so furious with them when they first came to the land, and they said, wow, there are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers. We can't possibly go in. And they turned back. And it says God was furious with that generation. He was angry with that generation. Because they didn't go in, they didn't go in. And then he says this, as surely as I live. And someone said, what's going to come next is going to happen. <laughs> as surely as I live. 
It doesn't say Canaan will be inhabited. It says, as surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As surely as I live. And so it's, yeah, it's, going into the land was just the next step in God's program. God's eye has always been on the ends of the earth. The promise to Abraham was through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the plan. That's God's plan. And so we mustn't just get taken up with a few square miles in the Middle East as though that was still important. Jesus said this, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations, then the end shall come. So the Bible is a complete story. It starts with this promise to Abraham, all the families. Jesus comes on the scene and says, when all these people have heard the gospel of the kingdom, then the end comes. The plan is complete. And we see in the book of Revelation, people from every tongue and every tribe and every people, they're all worshiping the Lord. The story's completed. And beloved, we're part of the story. We're a, we're a company of churches, a family of churches who are getting caught up with the plan of God. His intention to bless the nations, his intention to catch people up, to catch people up in some of the cities we've named that we're here, people we don't yet know, people we, don't, we haven't met yet. It's so great, isn't it, to be in a place like this and think, well, I've never met you before, but hey, they're on a church plant. They're going, they're moving. Hey, you got caught up in the mobility of what we're doing. There's a land to be taken. There's a program to go for. So it's important for us to see that we're on a journey. The father said to the son, today I've begotten you. You're my son. Today I've begotten you. That's talking about the resurrection. You've been raised up. Ask me. I'll give you the ends of the earth as your possession. I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. The ends of the earth. And so we are going into the land. They were going into Canaan. They had to have faith for it. They had to have ambition for it. They had to have this kind of spirit, like Caleb, who said, give me this mountain. And it doesn't say in the Bible, he was an arrogant guy. Somehow God says, I love this guy. I love his passion. And it's recorded very positively. He's saying, as we go into this land, I want that mountain. Give me this mountain. And somehow his very daughter, she's saying, give me that, this and this and that. She's kind of inheriting his passion. Give me this mountain. Jabez is honored in the scripture. He says, oh, that you'd extend my borders. And so we're not to see that as wrong ambition. There's a biblical godly ambition that wants us to take land for the glory of Jesus. And down through the centuries, there have been people like that. People like Hudson Taylor, who went into China and essentially said, Lord, give me this land. Give me this land. And as a single uh, a missionary with his wife there, he, he went into that land, just a little, little group into inland China. Now there are thousands. What an inheritance. What an inheritance. And God wants us to have that kind of heart, beloved. So we go to Tacoma. We go to Atlanta. We go to Nashville. We go to uh, Texas. We go, Lord George, Jesus, just show us, show us, place after place. Give us this, give us this, Lord. We're going to take land for you. Where are you going? We're going into the land. We're going into all the world to preach the gospel. It's the fulfillment of this word. Where are you going? We're on a journey. We are going to inherit territory for God. And it says these amazing things. It says cities you've not built, vineyards you've not planted. It's like I'm going to be with you. 
things that you, you, you think, I didn't do it. Now, see, at one point, Moses, our big father, uh, Paul, comes to Corinth, and he says, gosh, I'm scared. Corinth is a great city, very pagan city. And he said, in the night, Jesus came to him, because he's the commander of the troops. So he came to him. He's the, he's the risen head of the army. He's the one guiding, directing, ordering. So he comes to Paul in the night and says, don't be scared, Paul. I've got many people in this city. But I haven't, I haven't got there yet. No, no, no. I've got many people there. Cities you've not built. Vineyards you've not planted. You just go. You just go. Go. Come with me. I'll lead you in. I'll show you. I'll show you. And you see how he gets called. He wants to go this way. No, can't go that way. Wants to go that way. No. Then he gets the Macedonia call. Come over. He goes over to Philippi. And God starts moving. A woman's heart is opened. A jail opens. You think, wow, God. You find God is with you. Because he's the one who wants us to take the land. He's the one who says, I've got people in these great American cities. I want you there. I want you there. Because you've got to tell them the good news, and I'll own it. I'll own it. I'll give you, I'll give you people. that I, They're ripe on the tree. They're like apples ready to fall. I've been secretly working in them. Secretly working in them. It's one of the wonderful things we're learning as we go into Turkey. We're going and often meeting. These people say, I had a dream. This man in white came to me, and they're coming to the meetings. It's just wonderful. We were in Muscat, in Oman, had the joy of preaching. I prayed for a lady who was the administrator of the conference. She was running it all, and, and she said her arm was completely uh, locked. She said, I can't move. I've got just totally locked. Uh, it's, just, it's just solid. And uh, it was before the session. We're just walking around chatting to people before the meeting started. And we'd had a meeting the day before, but we're just there. And I said, well, can I pray for you? Would you pray for me? I'd love to pray. And I prayed for her, and it was completely free. And she's going, whoa, it's completely free. No pain at all. She's so happy. And then her daughter, whom I didn't know existed, she came over to me and said, my mother's healed. I said, well, Jesus is here. She said, would you pray for me? And I prayed for her, and she had chronic back pain. She'd had for 20 years chronic back pain. She was immediately healed, immediately healed. She stood up and gave her testimony in the evening meeting. I've been healed. What I didn't know was what her mother told me later that night. She was a convinced atheist. She didn't believe anything. She didn't believe anything. But she saw her mother. Her mother's arms were it's moving like this. And so I said, hey, pray for me. She's healed. She gave her heart to Jesus that night. Jesus goes with us. Amen? Jesus goes with us. Jesus says, I'll give it to you, but you need to be there. You need to be speaking my word. You need to be my instrument, but I'll be with you. Go into the land. And we heard this prophecy. Come on, don't be like little children who are wandering off and think, what shall I play at today? No, no, come on, follow me. I've got intention. Come after me. I'll make you fishers of men. Hey, what a privilege this is. Come with us. Come with us. We're on a journey. We are going to the land that God has ordained for us. And we just need to understand that. That's what the land is about. That's what the land is about. It's not the land in the Middle East. That is a real distraction. Even in Ephesians 5, where Paul is quoting the Ten Commandments, he says, Children, obey your parents. Now, in the Ten Commandments, it says you will live long in the land. 
in the New Testament, it says you'll live long on the earth. God's not interested just in a piece of land now. It's the, the earth. That's always been his intention. Always. So Paul, the, that Jewish apostle, changes that statement of the Ten Commandments. You will live long in the earth, not just in that land. God wants us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the land that we're going to. Then he begins to sing, not just about the land we're going into, but he begins to sing about the mountain. It means Mount Zion, the city of God. That's the next thing we need to understand. So where are we going, beloved? We're going to, well, some of us are going to Austin, Texas. Some of us are going to San Francisco. Some are going to Spokane. Some are going to, well, who knows? We're, we're going into land that God's ordained. Some of us, as we heard from these wonderful testimonies up here, are just going to speak to the girl we bump into sometimes at the store or at the school gate or at the hairdressers. We're going. We're going to people. We're going to extend the kingdom. We're going into land. But then secondly, to this mountain, to this city, this city of God. This is what he says in Exodus 15, the mountain of your inheritance for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Now, this is the poetic kind of psalms that are sung in the Old Testament. As, as they go and take Jerusalem, they realize that Jerusalem is somehow God's chosen place in the Old Testament. That's the place he's selected. That's the only place they're allowed to worship. You come now to this city, this place. They're going to have a, this important place. They're going to put walls around it. It's going to be an established city, and it's called the mountain of God. And this word Zion starts coming into Scripture as David teaches his generation. This is the place that God has chosen and desired. And it says in Psalm 68, Why do you look with envy, O mountains, at the mountain which God has chosen? God, is, God delights in Zion. So it's speaking of the gathered people of God. So we're going into land, and then we're going to gather a people into a community and make a people where God dwells. We've enjoyed being together here for two or three days. It's like a, it's like a little town together. When we used to run our Bible weeks in England, in the mercy of God, they grew to nearly 30,000 at the Stonely Bible Week, and there were camps all over, and it's like a little town. And we're worshiping God and singing and praising. It's like this is the dwelling place of God, where God is dwelling. And our church life together is meant to be like that. It's a place where God dwells. It's where his presence can be felt. It's where we enjoy him amongst us. And so you'll find lots of teaching in the New Testament and the Old about the city of God. It says about Hebrews, I bet upon, it says about Abraham in Hebrews, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose maker and builder is God. So he'd abandoned one city. He's living in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is a, a very uh, effective and, 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 and affluent city. And he says, no, I've seen something else. I've seen the city of God. And he's going out to build the city of God. He's, going to, he's searching for this city. He goes, he's looking for a city that has genuine foundations, something substantial, something that's going to last forever. 
And he's giving himself to this community, this alternative society. Abraham that had that in his heart from the beginning. And it says in Hebrews 11 also, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. He's prepared a city for them. And then you get into Hebrews, and it says things like this. Verse 12, chapter 12, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the general assembly and church of the firstborn. You have come. You've arrived at that city. The city of God is beginning to be formed on the earth. The people of God dwelling together in a way completely foreign to the society around them. So let's just see some of the things it says about the city in the Scriptures. It says it's a city of love. Okay, so Psalm 122, Jerusalem is a city that is closely compacted together. Closely compacted together. The importance of relationship is huge in the city of God. God wants, you see, we've got a very fragmented society. We've got a society where men walk out on their wives, children are abandoned, people give up on one another, people have arguments with their parents and move out. It's very fragmented, fragmented society. People don't know who they belong to. And God is saying, I want to gather you into a society of love, characterized by love, a people who love one another. And so it says in the New Testament that we're to love one another. And in fact, in, in the New Testament, there are over 40 one another verses, things you're meant to do for one another. Now, this is why, to be honest, we had to start new churches. Because when I got saved, I went to the local Baptist church where the preacher was a wonderful man. He really made the Bible live. He was a terrific guy. I really loved him. But it said on the wall as you went in, do not speak in the sanctuary. So you walk in and you're not allowed to speak. I mean, literally, you go into the meeting and, and you kind of sat there for the prescribed few seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello? So you said your little prayer, but you weren't allowed to speak. It was just kind of a... And that was it. That was it. That was fellowship. And uh, at the end of the meeting, you could go and shake hands with the pastor. And then you went home. That was, that was it. And I came out of a pagan society where I was in close, friendly relationship with a whole gang of guys I'd, I'd been raised with. And then I went to church. My parents are not Christian. And so I, how can I get help? Well, he'll preach to you. Oh, that's great. Now, don't speak to anybody. Oh, really? Now go home. And then come back next week and listen again. And the Bible says, confess your faults to one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, build one another up, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It says, it says all the negatives, don't bite one another, don't devour one another, speak the truth to one another. I mean, it's all one another. It's a community that God wants to, and it doesn't talk about kindness in abstract. It doesn't say be kind. It says be kind to one another, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. It personalizes it. It brings it into relationships. It's not hanging in a vacuum. It's very personalized. Be kind to one another. Speak the truth to one another. 
Because why? Because you're members of one another. We're not just guys who listen to a great preacher. We're members of one another. We're meant to be integrated. So it was revolutionary when we started small house groups. We never did that before. My former pastor said, what are you doing? People meeting in homes, you'll lose your church. We said, no, we want to get into one another's homes. We want to get into one another's lives. We want to be together. When I went to Bible college, I was told this by the principal, or at least this is what was taught. When you become a pastor, don't become friends with anybody. If you want to be a fr- have a friend, find a friend in the next town. As a pastor, find a friend in the next town. You think, what? What am I modeling as a leader? That I'm unapproachable? I remember when we were living in Missouri, and we went to one of the big meetings in, in, in Kansas City, and the people said, hey, Terry comes into the worship. We're not used to the anointed guy coming into the worship. He kind of sits in another room and say, right, we're ready for the preach. Oh, okay, now I come in to preach. No. <laughs> I want to be part of the people. We had a great American preacher came to us in the UK and he preached to our people. He was fiery. They took some seminars and he said this in our seminars. He said to us as elders, uh, don't get too close to your brother elders. Um, Don't do that. Don't Don't let your elders be your friends. It's much harder to fire them. Fire them? We said, what are you talking about? See, beloved, there are churches being built in America that are built on a business model. Hire them, don't like them, fire them. Hire another one. Where did you get him from? Well, we, had, we put it in the paper, we advertised, he came along, we tried him, fired him, fired him. What are you doing? Well, this is the way they do business. It's not the way you do church. See, the church talks about this. My beloved son, Timothy. He says, I was among you like a nursing mother. Like a father, I charged you. Day and night with tears, I was among you. And people are trying to build a thing called church which knows nothing about that. Nothing. And it's being modeled by the leaders. The leaders are modeling, don't get close to people. You're in a different kind of family where leaders want to be very close to you and be very accessible to you. And that's how it was in the Bible. Paul says in Thessalonians, you know what manner of men we prove to be among you. Among you. Not just a shiny preacher. Thank God for great preachers. But the Bible says, our gospel came to you, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. And you know what kind of men we were among you. How we lived among you. So, beloved, we're trying to build a different kind of church. And in a sense, you're out of step with much of the modern culture, even in this country, where people are building churches on a big business culture. And, and the man of God has his five-year plan. And you can't get very close to him because, well, it's just kind of executive guy. That's not the Bible. That really isn't it. We're looking for a family where there's love. And that's modeled, at the, that's modeled among the leaders. But you can just see these guys just love one another. You can fool around with them. You can put the screen up there and put different words in what they said, like last night. Very cheeky. Very cheeky. I sat there thinking, this is outrageous. I thought, I won't stand on that pulpit again. No, no, it's great. We love it. We love it. We love access, friendship. What you see is what you get. I don't want professionalism. 
John Piper wrote a great book. He said, brothers, we are not professionals. That's got to be heard. And sadly, it's not being heard somewhere. People, some people so passionate for growth say, forget friendship. Come on, just be efficient. Hire, fire. It's just not the New Testament. It really isn't. We don't want that. Come with us. We're doing something different. We're after something better. It's a loving community. It's a city of love. It's also, it says, it's a city of joy. Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There's a a river that runs through this city. The presence of the Spirit makes us glad. It doesn't make us stupid. It makes us glad. There's a joy of the Lord, which Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a great city builder. He knew how hard it was. He knew the setbacks, the opposition, the disappointments. And he said, brothers, don't forget this. He said this while the building's still, the city's still going up. He said, remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, some people say joy, well, isn't that, that's like cream on the cake. Who needs it? Come on. It's important, this. No, no, Nehemiah understood the score. And even Paul says this, that the days are evil. Make the most of the time. What's he going to say next? So be filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Make melody with all your heart. Yes. Why? Because the days are evil. Yeah, the days are evil. They will swamp you. They will set you back. As Brian was saying the first night, they will destroy your perseverance. You are as church planters, big ambition. Oh, another one turned me down. Another one. See, if you don't know, there's a river that makes glad the city. We've got to know what it is to drink of the river ourselves, to keep coming back to the river, keep enjoying the river, keep experiencing the joy of the Lord as our strength. Even when we hit, we hit problems, we hit setbacks, there's a river that makes us glad. And it's not just success that makes us glad. It's not just numerical breakthrough that makes us glad. It's the river that makes us glad. And we can enjoy God even when it's tough. So Paul crosses over to Philippi. He's preaching the gospel. He's thrown in prison. His back's in burning. He's been whipped. He's thrown in prison. It's like, who had that Macedonian cool vision? Was it you? (laughs) Stupid guy, Macedonia. We should have stayed. No, no, no. It says they're in the inner prison. And they're singing and worshiping. There's a river that's running through that prison. There's a river that's, beloved, you've got to tap into the river. Individually and corporately. Tap into the river. It makes glad the city of God. That's the uniqueness. It's a place where God lives. Even when there's just two or three of us. Especially when there's two or three of us. There's a river there. I love praying with Wendy. Wendy and I pray together virtually every day. It's a river that runs through. There's a joy, there's a presence. We've got to know this is the city of God. It's where God dwells, amen? It's where God dwells. And so it's got that uniqueness about it. We're together in love, but we're also full of the Spirit. When the early church broke out on the day of Pentecost, people said, these guys are drunk. There was an outburst of joy and freedom and liberty. That's the mark of the people of God. It's not just our correctness. It's not just our theological correctness, which we want. But it's the joy of God's presence amongst us. Amen? There's a city, and it's a city of holiness. It's a city of, I mean, of, of love. It's a city of joy. It's a city of truth. 
Okay, a city of truth. In Zechariah and chapter 8, we get again, this, this theme of the city comes up again and again and again. So you find in Zechariah and that wonderful chapter 8, it says this about the city of God. As God uh, speaks to his people, he says, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great anger, I'm jealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. And I will dwell in the midst of my people. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. It's a city of truth. It's a place where we speak the truth to one another in love. Don't lie to one another seeing you are members of one another. That's New Testament teaching. Speak the truth. That means don't generalize. Don't say, oh, she's always saying it. She said it once before. Everybody's talking about it means your friend agrees with you. Now speak the truth. Be careful about generalizations, exaggerations. Let's feel, I, I feel so safe with this guy, with this girl. I can tell her anything because, well, I'll get a truthful reply. You see, we've been lied to out there. There's so many lies told, so many half-truths. And God wants a community that is so different. So that when people come in, that's what they, they encounter something. They encounter truthfulness, integrity, honesty in the house of God. Not cheating. Not ripping off. Not, ah, oh, it's the church. It's terrible when the church gets a bad reputation because, well, they lied, they cheated, they stole the money, they fooled around. They messed around. The pastor messed around with somebody else's wife. What are we up to? Hey, beloved, it's a city of truth. A city of truth, of integrity. That's what God wants. Where we speak truth. We love God. We love one another. God is building a different community with different values that look different. That when you come in, you feel, wow, this is different. This is different from the people at work. These people can be trusted. It's a city of truth. It's a city of commitment. It says in Psalm 122, my feet are within your gates, O Jerusalem. What does that mean? It means I'm in. It means I'm committed. My feet are inside your gates. It's like count on me. I'm part of this. It's a city where we express commitment, where we say, no, I'm part of this deal. I'm in it. You see, that's why Nehemiah was passionate to rebuild the walls. It says he was away in Babylon, and he heard the city of God was in ruins. He heard that the walls were down. He heard that the gates were burned. In other words, anybody can walk in and out, and it's supposed to be the city of God. It's supposed to be the city of God. I was in Stockholm a few weeks ago, and I said, I said to the guys, is there a state church here? They said, yeah, actually, it's a Lutheran church, but hmm, the archbishop of the church of Sweden, she lives with her lesbian friend. That's the archbishop. That's the leader. The gates are burned. The walls are down. Anybody can walk in and out. And Nehemiah was heartbroken. He said, let's get the walls up. Let's get the gates up. And he worked for it. He worked for it. And then when we say, yeah, I'm in, my feet are inside your gates. I want to be part 
of a committed community. I want to be there. I want you to be able to count on me. Yeah, I do want to be a member of a small group. I do want to be on that. I just want to help with the children. I want to help with this. I, I want to be part of this thing. I Count me in. Is that how it is for you? Count me. I'm so impressed as I walk around this place. I come along the corridors, whole rows of people just taking in the children, filling in forms, and I think, boy, these people work so hard. Their feet are in the gates. Count on me. We're in. And beloved, we don't want to be casual about this. Well, I go there sometimes. Where do you go to church? Well, I sometimes go there, and occasionally I go there, and sometimes, no. We need to be somewhere where we, we're known, where we start building with people, where relationships are forming. And you can say, honestly, my feet are inside. Are your feet inside? Where do you belong? Because the elders sat at the gates. Are you in good relationship with your elders? Ah, oh, he does. He, he speaks. I don't really know him. No, come on, get inside. Get to know the leadership. Come in good relationship with them. Let's build the city. Let's build something radically different. It speaks of commitment. My feet are inside the gates. It also says, it's a city set on a hill. Can't be hit. It's a city of testimony. It's a city that shines bright. There's something about it that has evangelistic impact. It's a city that can't be hid. It's bright, it's shining. And that will happen in all sorts of ways. All sorts of ways. We had a marathon in, in Brighton, uh, where I've been for 30 years, they had a marathon. And, and they, uh, the Brighton Marathon, it's second only to the London Marathon in terms of the big marathons in England. And they're running past our church building, so we can't meet. Say, ah, we can't meet. This is a pain. So instead of just moaning, my son Joel, who, who leads the church, got with the guys and said, why don't we be stewards for the marathon? Yeah, well, let's do that. So we supplied 300 stewards for the marathon, which meant we had to be there at the crack of dawn because marathons start early before the bright British heat breaks out. And uh, <laughs> you've got to believe it. And uh, so... So 300, 300 stewards, and they're there all day. And then the next year, do it again, 300 stewards. And then Joel was invited to a, 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 an occasion, an event, and the lady who runs the whole deal, she stood up and said publicly, I'm not sure we could run this marathon if it were not for this church and the way it serves the city. I mean, it's a little, it's a tiny little example, but it's like people know about us. We affect the city. We affect the city. One of our first church plants uh, in, in Sussex where we started, in fact, the very first one, now got its warehouse where it meets. And uh, at the opening, a man called Sir Christopher Soames spoke, and he's the grandson of Winston Churchill. And he spoke at the opening. He's not reportedly a Christian. He was the local min member of parliament, so he's invited to give a speech. And he stood up and he said, this place is a miracle. And he said such terrific things about this church. Then he said, I had a lady come to see me because I'm a member of parliament, and I asked her what I could do for her. She told me all about it. Then I said, is there anything else I can do for you? And she said, no, no, no. King's Church looks after me. That's the name of our church there. King's Church looks after me. And he said in his speech to everybody, I mean, hundreds of people gathered for this opening, and the member of parliament says, this church is having impact in this city. 
This church is having impact in this city. It's affecting this city. And that's beginning to happen. We're a city set on a hill. We are relevant and visible in the people, the purpose of God. So the city is also, last of all, a city of devotion. It says that, that Jerusalem coming down, the city of God like a bride adorned for her husband. We're there for Jesus. It's devotion is at the heart of it. But when we start singing our love songs to Jesus, we all feel in. We think, Lord, I love you. It's all for you. It's all about you, Jesus. Our devotion for you is making this happen. So these are the characteristics. And so Moses says, where are you going? Well, you're going into land, which is just pagan land, and we're going to build cities. We're going into all the earth. We're going into city after city. We're going to preach about Jesus and gather lonely people, fragmented people, build them into a community of love and care, honesty, integrity, help change their worldview, help them understand what love is really about. Hollywood has got it wrong. This is the way God wants it to be. Loyalty, love, commitment. We teach people a completely different worldview. We don't just ask Jesus into your heart. You dismantle a a worldview that's completely wrong and replace it with another worldview of relationships, of love, of loyalty, of truth, of integrity, of sacrifice. And we build communities. That's what God wants, cities that he is raising up. And then thirdly, the temple. The temple. You're going into the land. You're going to build a city. You're going to have the sanctuary of God, the temple, the house of God which is the gateway to heaven. Jacob saw a a ladder going up to heaven. He said, this is the gateway to heaven. This is the house of God. And that's speaking to me of the relevance of the presence of God in worship. We want to build churches where the presence of God is manifest, where he is present amongst us. We, We know his nearness. We feel his nearness. We respect his nearness. We reverence the presence of God. The worship is not just the preliminaries before the preach. We're coming to him. We're coming to enjoy him, celebrate him, know his nearness, enjoy his favor, the power of God amongst us. We are his temple. God's looking for worshipers, the Bible says. You remember the story in John 4, and Jesus is talking to the woman of Samaria, and she's saying, should we worship God in this city or that city? She's trying to throw a smoke screen because Jesus is getting a bit close in. He's saying, hey, the, the guy you're with is not your husband. You've already had these husbands. And she, Whoa, where should we worship? Samaria or Jerusalem? Now, in the Old Testament, it would always have been Jerusalem is the only place. But now Jesus says, no, God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about location anymore. Jerusalem's not important anymore. It's about spirit and truth. Now you are the temple of God. Ephesians 2, now we're his temple. We're lively stones where his presence is known. We come to expect to meet with him. Not just preliminaries, we come anticipating encounter. And that's going to affect how we worship. We're going to be open to him speaking to us. Because when we come to meet him, and he's going to come and meet with us, he's going to make himself known to us. He's going to come... And, and say things that will just open your eyes and, and, and thrill your heart. So we come to be with him in his temple. That's who we are. We are the temple of the Spirit where he is worshipped. 
Okay, so let's just move on. So where are we going? We're going to the land. We're going to build a city. We're going to have worshipping place where his presence is felt and enjoyed and experienced and enriching my life. And then I would ask this. What happens if I join you? What happens to those who join you? Come with us. We'll do you good. What happens if I join you? Well, two or three things Moses says to him. He says, whatever good God does to us, we'll do for you. You get to be part of the blessed people. You get to be part of a people who are no longer just wandering around, but you're caught up with something meaningful, purposeful. In fact, the most important thing happening in planet Earth. Imagine before you became part of the house of God, and you're, you're just turning on the news about Ukraine and Crimea, and you think, oh, it's nothing to do with me. And now you feel, hey, wait a minute, John said we've got churches there. We know Andre, we know Yuri, we know these people. We're, we pray for them. we're part of this, we care about this. We are elevated to be sons of God who care about what's happening in God's world. We feel the dignity of it. We say, no, I'm part, I'm caught up with this great thing. God's given me incredible blessing and privilege that we're caught up together in what he's doing. My son, one of my sons is visiting guys in Istanbul this very, this very day. They're out there and they're preaching, they're planting a church in Istanbul. He's gone out to be there. There's purpose and meaning touching the nations. Whatever blessing God's given, we'll share it. We're all, we're all taken up with this blessing and favor, this progress. We feel ourselves to be part of what God's doing. And then he says this, and you can be eyes for us, for you know where we should camp. See, he's saying to this guy, you know the territory. Come with us. We'll do you good. And you can be eyes for us. You've got something to contribute. It's not, well, you can join on the, there's no two million of us, get on the back. You could be two million and one. No, no, come on, come right in. And you can be eyes for us. You have a part to play. Now, that's got a very New Testament feel to it, where Paul says this, in the body of Christ, there are eyes and hands and ears and feet. And the ear should not say to the eye, because I'm not an eye, I don't count. If I'm a foot, I shouldn't say to the hand, because I'm not a hand, I'm not. No, no, he's teaching this. Look, we are all playing a part. We have a role to fulfill. We have a part to play. And he's saying to this man, I'll give you dignity. You know this territory. You can be eyes for us. Come in, play your part. Let your gift emerge. Let your gift come in. And, and it's not only the gift that you bring with you, this guy knows territory, but the gift God will give you. God will inspire and motivate gifts in you. That's why it was so exciting the other night to hear these four people on the platform all speaking of the different gifts God's given them. A gift to, to go and start, a gift to share the gospel. A gift, gifts, and we all get enriched by their gifts. We get stirred by them. Gifts of hospitality, gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing. God wants to multiply gifts amongst us. And then we play our part. We bring our part. We come bringing what God's got for us. So we're not just passengers. God's given you a part to play. And you can be eyes for us. You can say, well, this is the way we're going. Now, notice this. He doesn't say, uh, you take over from the cloud. They're following the cloud. 
It's not that you come in with your gift and say, hmm, I think I can sort this church out. I've got a lot of wisdom. I can show you what to do. No, no, no. Moses is following the cloud. He's following God. So God, God's leading them. God's in charge. God is the shepherd leading Israel. But you, come on, come on. You know where we could camp. You know this territory. You make your contribution. You don't take over from God. And that's how it is when we get prophetic gifts and so on. We don't find someone comes in and takes over from God. So I spoke. And you say, well, I'm not quite sure. And I, I spoke. Come on, I spoke. No, that's not the deal. God's in charge. God's leading us. His word is the final authority. His truth is teaching us. But you can be so helpful with the gifts that we bring to the table. Amen? We've all got gifts. Paul or Peter says, be good stewards of the grace of God. This multicolored gifting that God gives to the whole church. We are to be a people full of gifts. Let's not just be passengers. Let's find what our gift is, where we fit, what's the part God wants us to play. And we become a healthy, mature church as we discern what our gift is. We heard about little children just now. Little children, we've got umpteen grandchildren. Can you believe it? 17 now. So we see these little children, and they don't know what life's about yet. They don't understand life yet. But as they grow, they'll find their gifts and their skills. And as a local church grows, you begin to discern where the gifts lie, what the gifts are, what God is doing amongst us. So we got to discern what God is giving to us. You can be eyes for us. Have you discerned yet what your contribution is? God wants you to play a part. Sometimes it's a very humble part. Sometimes it's a more visible part. But God wants us all to play a part. And then the last thing I would ask is this. Why are you so confident? Come with us. We'll do you good. Hey, you sound pretty sure of yourself. Then he says this. For the Lord has promised us good. The Lord has promised us. When you've got the promise of God, you're very rich. When you've got the certainty that God said, I will give it to you. I'll give it to you. You can take that with you. You can take that with you into your workplace. You can take that with you into your street. You can take that with you into the school that your kids attend. God is going with us. God is for us. He said, I will give you. He has promised us good. He's promised us good. And we need to live under the blessing of that, to know God has promised us good, to see people just going, going, going. When I was in Stockholm a few weeks ago, there were people there, young couples, who gathered into this conference I spoke at. There were some from Helsinki, Finland. There's a couple from Estonia, a couple from Latvia, couple from Sweden itself. And I looked at these young couples, I thought, wow. I mean, they're learning a language, a culture, a climate. Going north, going into just another world, really. You think, why do you go? Well, the Lord's promised us good. God's given us promises. We're going with promises. When we were in Delhi, we met with the church plant in Delhi in India. And there's a girl there. We know she's a mother now. She's a woman. She's a doctor got her kids. And I spoke to her, I said, wow, it's so thrilling that you're here in Delhi. English girl, married to an English guy, helping to plant this church in Delhi and in India. And she said, when I was at Stonely Bible Week, I was 15 years old, God spoke to me. 
God spoke to me. It's great that you have New Day over here. You have Mobilize. You have these things where God speaks to young people and says, I promise you, I'll go with you, and writes things right into their heart while they're still very young, and they just know God's called me. God's gripped me. God's promised me things. And to live with promises is just awesome. Just to know God has said, God has called me, God told me this would happen. So we live with promises. And beloved, if you say, well, I don't have any promises, go after God. Say, Lord, give me promises. Give me things you say to me. Give me things I know are going to happen. That becomes the ground for learning to pray. Lord, you promised us this. You promised us this. We will break through. We will see you move. We will see fruit because that's what you promised us. Promises are there to provoke prayer and faith and expectation. The Lord has promised us good. Come with us. God's promised us good. Come on into what God has for us. Come into the battle. Come into what God has done. God has already done amazing things. Amazing things. It's like Moses could say, did you see the manna this morning? I mean, God's with us. The manna's there. There are, there are miracles on the way. God provides. Look at the cloud of glory. There's the ark of his presence going with us. God is with us. We can say, look at this, last night, 92,000, God's with us. There, there's proof, and you think, where's 92,000 come from? You look back, we think we, we've raised millions for buildings. You think, I looked at my church, I thought, well, if there's a rich man here, I haven't met him yet. But we've raised millions. How did that happen? God is with us. There are proofs and demonstrations. God is among us, and he's promised us good. We're on a journey, beloved. We have a calling. It's not just church going. Come with us. We're on a journey into what God has for us. Have you enlisted? Have you heard the invitation? It's first and foremost going with Jesus. Jesus issues invitations. Follow me. I'll take you on a, on a, a journey. When I think back, beloved, I was a backslidden teenager. Wasting my life. When we're worshiping just now, I'm just singing these songs. Your mercy, I'll never get over your mercy. And so often the lines of songs, boy, you think, yes, that's true, that's true. That's who I am. Such a sinner, such a waste of time. And even when I became a Christian, I think, God, you didn't spit me out. I think, no, God, you had a plan. You had a plan. I was just a waste of time. I was a dishonorer of your name. I'm a church goer and I live like this. And God could have said, enough of you. And he didn't. He said, come into my purposes. I've got plans for you. I think, Lord, plans for me. Lord, God, God would say that over every one of us. I've got plans for you. You're my work of art. We're his workmanship, created in Christ for works he prepared beforehand for us to walk into. It says in Ephesians 2, we used to walk in all kinds of things. We used to walk in the lusts of our flesh. The principalities were working on us. The world shaped us. Come out of that and walk into the works I prepared for you. Will you walk into them this morning? Say, Lord, I want to. Oh, I just want to come with you. With all my heart, count me in. That's what Moses was looking, come on, come with us. We're on a great journey. You may feel, well, I don't know. No, come on, will you come in? 
Will you come in? Yeah, count on me. I'm in. I'm absolutely in. I want to see this happen. I want to see the land taken. I want to see Jerusalem built. I want to see temples in town after town after town. I want to see communities of love who know how to lay down their lives for one another. I want to see families built the way God wants families built. I want to see it. Come on then. Come with us. We're going to do it again and again and again. Let's stand before the Lord. I want to invite you this morning as we stand before him. Let me ask you, have you said yes to God? Are you saying, yeah, count me in. I'm absolutely on this journey. I'm absolutely on this journey. I want to, I want to make it absolutely clear. As we go from this place, I'm not just going off. I'm, I'm absolutely in. I'm on the journey. I'm getting caught up with the plan of God. I know I've been forgiven. I know my sins are gone. I know I've been delivered from slavery. I've escaped. I know God is for me. I want to give myself to God's great plan. If you're saying this morning, yes, please count me in. Count me in absolutely. It may mean, hey, I need to have another conversation with my elders that they know. Hey, you just need to know I'm really in. In a way perhaps you didn't know before. If you want to do that this morning, I want to invite you. We're going to sing in a moment. We're going to worship God. As we're singing and worshiping, I want to invite you. Why don't you just come forward and say, Lord, here I am. You see my heart. I'm in. Come with us, beloved. Come with us. Come with us. We're on a great journey to the ends of the earth. Come with us. We'll do you good. Please, won't you just start coming right now before we start singing. Just come. Let's come to God and say, here I am, Lord Jesus. Count me in. That's right. Just come and give ourselves wholeheartedly. Thank you, Tommy.